0: Amen and amen. You may be seated. He is worthy. One thing I didn't put out this morning was this sign-up sheet. I'm almost tempted to, to walk it around until we get five volunteers. This is for this coming Saturday. We need five volunteers to help us with people feeding people. Uh, we go downtown Oxford and we serve food. All you need to do is show up because the food will be prepared. All you need to do that is, is be able to serve that food. And so uh, the, the Boynes aren't here this morning that I see, uh, but they desperately would like to have some people join them. Our plan is in the future is to have different small groups, different ministries uh, volunteering for those Saturdays. But we have an open Saturday this week. We really need people to step up and just say, I'll do it. I'll be part of the Answer PD uh, and, and sign up for that. So... Uh, All right, it's there. It'll be in the back after the service. Don't make me hunt you down. (laughs) Want to let you know you missed out on a wonderful opportunity, but you're going to get that opportunity in two weeks. Uh, Jan Porter was going to come this morning and be our moment for missions. Uh, Jan is such a an amazing servant. She's downstairs working with our children. Uh, she's she's got, got a walker. walker. She, she shuffles down. around. We put a lift in. I don't know if you know that, but there's a lift in those stairs down there to make sure we can get her down and back up, uh, and she shows up faithfully, and she's part of the missions team, and she was, it was her turn, and so we were going to meet her on the floor here, but uh, what a sweet, sweet lady, a widow, uh, somebody that we care for deeply here at Oakwood. Uh, the video didn't work this morning. It's, it's, it's a mess, and so we decided to punt. So two weeks from now you'll get to hear Jan. Uh, she's sharing about our ministry to fish. Uh, it's an organization here in town you need to hear more about, how you can be involved in that, one of our agencies that we support. Well, let's shift our attention to the book of 1 Thessalonians. Meet me there, open your Bible or a gadget, and get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, is where we'll be reading out of and talking through today. It is not a great transition to get to communion from today's message. Today's message is about our sexuality. So I'm a good pastor and all, but to make that segue from sexuality to communion is a leap. Uh, So we did communion before I had to say that. Uh, But I do tell you that this morning, um, I I preach... Uh, out of the word and this is our topic this is our section that is for us today and it covers sexuality and so it comes with a little bit of a not a warning but a, a just a little bit of a heads up to you uh, i'll be appropriate i see children in the room um but I, I will cover the the topic as graciously as i can today and so uh just so you as parents know uh and are ready for questions as you go home uh that'll be on you are you ready to pray this morning? Would you pray with me? If you would pray this prayer, God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. Just give that prayer to God. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. And oh God, we pray that you'd be glorified, that everyone hearing this message would be edified, and that Satan would be horrified. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen holiness and hope in a hostile world. We've kind of been talking about the hostile world that we live in today in comparison to what the Thessalonians were living in. Uh, we've talked some about hope that even though we go through trials there is great blessed hope of a future and we haven't got into much of the holiness aspect of it but yet here in first Thessalonians 4 the author now kind of says so here is then how you should live. We got to live out holiness. Therefore, uh, the key verse to remind you of in 523 is, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. A great theme verse in that middle part, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless And so God has a lot to say about your sexuality. I hope I don't throw you off too far today, but God invented sex. It's his idea. Yay, God. And it's a good thing. It's not a dirty thing. There's nothing wrong with it. My wife hates it when I say this, but we have three children. I've had sex three times. It has been... I'm just kidding. Some people worry about pastors. They don't understand us. Uh, I often... I'm amazed at how... um, pious you think I am. Uh, I I love running into people at the grocery store at Myers, and they're like, Pastor, what are you doing here? (laughs) We eat food. (laughs) We actually, you know, I do exist out of this building, and so uh, I don't know what you're thinking today, but I, I need to be honest with you about this. God has a lot to say about your bodies and how we can glorify him with our bodies, and it's not a bad thing. And so during the video, we showed as a opening for 1st Thessalonians i pulled this out of there following jesus produces a countercultural holy way of life and that's what we're going to start dwelling on now holiness we are to live differently than the world around us who doesn't know jesus They have no idea of what is right and wrong. Matter of fact, what they think is right is usually wrong, and what they think is wrong is usually right. They're confused about life, and the Bible comes along and tells us we produce a countercultural holy way of living. So we'll talk about that. The big idea this morning is Christian holiness, living it out. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 12. Instead of reading the whole context, I'm going to take it in four chunks today. Let's jump right in this morning. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 12. Uh, I'm going to read verses 1 through 2 to start with. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we we instructed instructed you how to live in order to please God. As in fact, you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. I found these These two two first verses to talk about this. I must listen to God's instructions. Paul makes it very clear they'd left them some instructions. Uh, We had instructed you how to live in order to please God. And he closes with, you know what instructions we gave you. Not just my man-made-up instructions, but the instructions by the authority of God. He says that here in verse 2. So instructions are important. Believer, are you possibly living in a countercultural holy way? There is no way you can do that unless you're in the scriptures, unless you open God's word. It is the instruction for this life. I don't know how many of you don't like reading the instructions. I don't think it's necessarily a male versus female thing, but I'll speak on behalf of men. I tend to not read instructions. I, I tend to think they're annoying. Uh, the Scandinavian company who uh, uh, puts out products always has to be put together, right? And I think the name of their company is appropriate because that's the first thing I think of when I open the box and all the parts fall out. Ikea! <laughs> parts and parts and parts and parts. And I typically start trying to piece it together. Now, as I've gotten older... I've realized it doesn't hurt to skim the instructions first. (laughs) Because usually on the first line, they say, do not. It's it's true. Because they know that people don't read instructions, but they might skim them. And so what they tell you right away is, do not connect A with B first. Don't do that or you're going to be in big trouble. And then you find out why. I don't know how many of you have ever put something together only to find out, oh, I should have read the instructions first. I've gotten myself in big trouble here. Instructions are there to help us and guide us. For those of us who really think that instructions are punishment, uh, we need to get a, a new look at life according to God's word. It is not, God's word is not to prevent you from happiness. Oh, I mean, growing up as a Christian in the church, I thought God was the great cosmic killjoy. You don't dance, you don't smoke, you don't don't go go to movies, movies, you don't don't wear blue jeans. I went to a real conservative church, okay. There was a lot of rules. Your hair had to be cut a certain way. God was the great cosmic killjoy. It wasn't until after uh, growing up and maturing and realizing that God is not a great cosmic killjoy. He actually wants to preserve joy for you. And so he does have some instructions and you ought to pay attention to those that say, do not Don't go there. And those rules and instructions are not there to keep you from joy. They're to help you find real joy. So this morning we get into these instructions and they're instructions. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but if you take the acrostic Bible, B-I-B-L-E, they're basic instructions before leaving earth. And we ought to open this book, look at the instructions, because God tells us how to live this life here and now. Not to keep you from fun, but to help you experience true joy. Basic instructions before leaving earth. The next section we look at is I must learn self-control. It's verses 3 through 8. It says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. Everybody say sanctified. Sanctified. That you should avoid sexual immorality. Everybody say Immorality. immorality that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this manner no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins. As we told you and warned you before, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Again, God is not some great cosmic killjoy. He invented our sexuality, and it is good. In Genesis, he tells us, I created them male and female, male and female, he created them. He repeats that over three times in that first thing. I think he understood there was going to be confusion about that and about our our human sexuality at some point. And so he emphasizes over and over again, I created them like this. I created them male and female, male and female, I created them. So I want to walk through this chunk here and share my heart with you this morning. First of all, some definitions. He, he says, says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified. In the Greek, that's a agai, agaiosmos, which means to consecrate or be holy. Consecrate means to be set apart. You set something apart. We don't have... Uh, um, many venerated things here at Oakwood we don't we don't put a lot of stake into these are holy relics we don't have a a big bible up here that no one ever touches that's for show Uh, but there are churches where there are certain things um, and and those are set apart I don't know if you have some of those things at home where no you don't mess with that they're they're set apart Um, I know back growing up um, it was a big deal to have one room in the house that was set apart. It was not for the family. Uh, My friend had a house and the living room. Nobody ever went in. And when we went into that room, it was like, be careful. I don't know why we had to be careful. The couch was covered in plastic. Remember the see-through plastic? The couches were covered in a hard, heavy plastic. I'm like, what could go wrong? I mean, for crying out loud, you could spill on this. It's going to last. But it was set apart. No one's allowed to go in there. In the same way, God tells us that we, our living is to be sanctified or set apart for holiness. Not to be used for immoral purposes. Uh, I drive a lot of people crazy when I came here six years ago. Words mean something, and I don't like to call this the sanctuary. Uh, if you do, it's okay. You don't get in trouble, nobody gets their hand smacked. Uh, but I, I just don't like calling things like this room the sanctuary. Because the sanctuary means it should be set apart, sanctified, sanctuary. It's salvific in nature. And, and if this room that we meet in is the sanctuary, then by all means, Nothing should happen here but holiness. So therefore, Ben can't play dodgeball with the teens on a (laughs) lock-in. And and, and this room gets used for all sorts of things, you guys. We take the chairs up and we play football in here. I mean, if it's the sanctuary, you just can't do that. Is it or is it not? Uh, The reason why I don't like to call it the sanctuary is, is this is God's house of worship. And we come here and it's a great meeting place. But the meeting place is for the sanctified You are the sanctuary. You you yourselves, you carry the Holy Spirit in you. The holiness is not in this room. It is in the believer. And that's why you're to be different seven days a week. Not just one day a week when you come into this room, but seven days a week you're set apart. You're sanctified. You're to live a holy life different than the world around you. That's the word sanctified. That's God's will. And then he talks about immoral, sexual immorality. The word there in Greek was porneas. Uh, pornea in scripture uh, is a really good study at some point to understand that. It's where we get the word pornography from. In this text, it's hard to really grab a hold of it because it's, it kind of means fornication. Uh, but it has something more to do than just fornication. It has something to do with a married life. I, I won't get into all the geek Greek stuff. But it has something to do with contentment in your marriage. And, and anything outside of that to find gratification is, is what's wrong. So I want to come and give you some definitions, okay? Adultery. How many have ever heard that word thrown around before, okay? Adultery means when a married couple, within that marriage, a husband and a wife, they have sexual relationships outside of that marriage bond, okay? That's adultery. It's for married people. Uh, If you're not married, you can't commit adultery, okay? But fornication is what happens if you're not married. If you're not married, any sexual gratification before that bond of marriage, that would be fornication. Fornication, adultery, both sins. But pointed out here in this passage gives the context of be content in your marriage life. Which I have to step back now and give you PD's theology of sex. (laughs) It's going to be okay. Again, God created our sexuality, and he did mean it for our pleasure. He gave us a wonderful gift. I used to travel and speak to teenagers, especially young men, and I would talk about our sexual purity, controlling our own bodies, and after a while they'd be like, what a gift. Thanks, God. Give me this great gift and say, don't open it. (laughs) And, And it can be difficult in that context, but let me explain why. Your sexuality was given to you as a gift from God. Now I have to go to the character of God and of Satan. God is who he says he is and he does not lie. And therefore, when he talks about creating you, male and female, he meant that. When he he ordained the institution of the church, he meant that. But he also ordained another institution. It's called the family. And in his, his teaching, God's teaching is one man, one woman, one lifetime. That's it. I'm not going to get into all the variations we have today of family. But in God's definition, family would be one man, one woman, one lifetime. We're not getting into a death and a widow situation and a second marriage. There's nothing unbiblical about that at all. I'm not, I'm not, we're not covering that today. Uh, we're not covering divorce today. Uh, there will be opportunity for us to do that when we get to those scriptures. But we'll talk about divorce and remarriage another time. This morning, I simply want to talk to you about God's plan in general is one man, one woman, one lifetime. And that is where sexual gratification should be experienced. Uh, Having been in Texas and speaking to couples, I gave them this quote I thought it would be worthy giving to you today. Attraction is motivated by self-love. Love Love is motivated by other love. Love. In other words, no romance is so powerful to alleviate the junk you drag into your marriage. We often talk about uh, falling in love, and that's based on attraction. Attraction. No amount of attraction and love or romance is going to overcome the junk that you bring into your marriage. Yeah, you might think you're in love and your eyes go gaga every time you see her, but over time that might wane. And so therefore, romance is not the cause of a good marriage, it is the result of a good marriage. So this morning when we talk about uh, falling in love and marrying somebody, it needs to be more than attraction. You've heard my story about seeing Julie for the first time, and, and just wow long brown hair I mean it would be great if I could tell you I knew her GPA and how intelligent she was and that's why I fell in love with her but it's not true she was just gorgeous that's all I knew the first time I saw her in slow motion as she walked by and flung her hair I just was smitten I was smitten by attraction thankfully uh, she had more than just good looks I'm blessed that way but attraction is more motivated by self-love it's about you Real love is motivated by other love. And that's why so many marriages experience troubles. Marital trouble is a universal trait. And yet God said, I'm giving you this gift. And sex is an important part of that. That intimacy is the beautiful part of you two being very separate from everybody else. you're, you're, You're not with everybody else. You're with this person. And it's a beautiful gift. So why does it get all messed up? If anybody were to look at our culture today, you would have to admit we are a sex-crazed world. We're living in a sex-crazed world. I purport to you a theory, and it's my theory. The Bible doesn't explicitly say this, but in reference to God's character and Satan's character, I think I'm standing on solid ground when I say that Satan hates your sexuality. Satan hates the fact that God created you male and female, and he made you sexual beings. Why would, why would you say that, PD? Well, we know from Satan's character that he wanted nothing more than to be God. That's why he was thrown out of heaven. He, he, he wanted to be God. But Satan is not God. He is a created being. All angels, and we know that Satan was an angel, he was a created being. If angels are created beings, and we as as men and and women are created beings, we need to know something about those creations. Number one, let me tell you that angels are not procreate beings, which I'm using fancy terms to say. Angels don't have sexual relationships. They do not create baby angels. I know some of you have things at home with little fluffy cows with baby, fat baby angels that shoot arrows. Those are beautiful and everything, but they don't exist. There are no baby angels because angels don't have sex and create more angels. Angels are not sexual beings. Understand that. And then the Bible says that they were created, but that we were created. And there's these heavenly beings. And then God creates mankind, creature. And he gives us something he didn't give the angels. God gave us sexuality. And he said, I will give you to each other that a man should leave his mother and father and cling to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And because of that incredible thing that he gave us in our sexuality, there's a potential for man and woman to come together and create life. And Satan hates that about you and me. Why is it that the one thing that's so twisted today is human sexuality? I I stand pretty firm on a foundation to let you know that Satan hates the fact that he is an angel of light. One of the highest angels created. He wanted to be God. God's creativity to be able to create something out of nothing. He couldn't do that. And then God goes and makes us and we can create life. He despises that about you and me. And I contend today that Satan has worked to twist your sexuality and my sexuality and the whole world's sexuality from day one. He hates it. He hates it. And if he could just twist it and and get you to, to do it differently than God's plan, if he could just twist it, then you'll never be able to experience the beauty and joy that is the gift of your human sexuality. So men and women if you struggle with pornography you need to know first and foremost Satan loves that he loves that you would look at a screen somewhere and find fulfillment with a screen which by the way is the world's greatest lie that has ever been created because that screen never says no and in my understanding of human relationships if mama ain't happy ain't nobody happy you got to have a good relationship or there isn't things happening there And it's much easier to go to a screen to get your gratification than it is to a person with whom you might not have been treating well. And so Satan comes and puts a rift between man and wife. And that relationship then gets twisted. So we turn to things like screens. We we turn to gratification outside of the bonds of marriage. Maybe you aren't married yet you're single and you're like, it's driving me crazy. Well, the Bible deals with that. It says it's better to marry than to burn in your lust. The Bible is not naive about desire, (laughs) but it's to be manifested through a marriage relationship. And the bonds of that marriage relationship ought to be worked on and worked on and developed so that it's strong and secure, so that there is joy in that marriage because it's so tempting then To step outside of marriage to find fulfillment. And that goes against God. So, what are you saying, Pastor, about the single person? For the single person, celibacy is the answer. I know that's difficult. That's why the Bible says that is a calling, singleness is a calling real briefly and if you want to question me on this later you can but what about homosexuality there are those that are struggling with those tendencies the answer there is celibacy don't act upon it it's a twisted version of what god gave us therefore it will not bring you the joy that he has for us again if you're here today struggling with homosexuality i am not against you i am for you i am for you you're in the right place Who was that brenda did you send that out brenda brenda you sent out a facebook post that I absolutely loved It said if you're if you drank all saturday night and woke up and showed up at church this morning You can sit by me because you're in the right place And if you and it goes on a list all these and oh brenda. I love that. What a great find that was so this morning Hear me correctly when we preach about tough situations like this I'm for you and you're in the right place But we're going to preach what God's word says here. And his word says, let me read it for you again 1 Thessalonians 4, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that's holy and honorable. So if you're single, you're not married yet, you need to wait. You need to wait. And some people say, Pastor, you're just living in an ancient world. Everybody has sex before marriage. Everybody moves in. you got to try each other out, make sure it's all going to work, find out who doesn't put the cap on the toothpaste. You know, that's just, I know, I hear it all the time. But no, I'm going to say today, as old school as it might sound, that's not God's plan. You wait. And you learn to control yourself. Why is that important? I contend today that self-control is one of the essentials of the teaching of God's Word. It's one of the essential teachings and instructions. Remember instructions is the first thing we learn? Basic instructions before leaving earth. God tells us, and what he tells us is, we need to learn self-control. So young couple, why is it such a big deal? Having sex before you're married? Because you want to make sure that each of you learn to control yourself. Why is self-control important? Ladies, ladies, If you're not married to him yet, then there's no ring on your finger. It is not okay. And you're not helping him because you you indulge him with gratification before the right time. He's not learning self-control. He's learning self-gratification. What's the problem with that? Well, when you got three babies and and you're not available, he's going to find self-gratification outside of your marriage. There's a time when you're to learn self-control, where you learn to say no, the Bible says. So young ladies, it's okay for you to say no for now. We're preparing to get married, let's, let's say no right now. And we'll learn self-control. Ladies, you want him to be self-controlled, because it's a lifetime principle. Young men... You need to be able to say no and have her learn to say no before marriage because it's a lifetime principle. Do you want her to learn self-control? You better. She'll have your credit cards. (laughs) Self-control is in every aspect of your life, and we must learn it. And that's why God says no. He is not a cosmic killjoy. He gives us the plan for for his intentions for our our joyfulness and our marriage. So that is what he tells us here in scripture. That is what we're taught. We're taught what is forbidden. Sexual gratification outside the bond of marriage. God's definition of marriage. Not today's definition of marriage. God's definition. One woman, one man, one lifetime. That is where sexual gratification is to take place. You don't go outside of those bonds. You don't cheat and cut in before those bonds. You learn self-control. In every aspect. That's why it says each one of you should learn to control your own bodies. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're pre-married right now. Then that's what you need to be working on. Maybe you're married now and you need to learn self-control in that marriage and, and make sure that you are fulfilling each other's needs. Make sure that you are the vital source for everyone in your marriage. Make sure you're not finding gratification outside of those bonds. It's so vital and it's so important. Marriage is more about being faithful than being happy. Happiness is a byproduct of faithful, committed, caring, love. Take Take care care of faithfulness and happiness will find you. I'm not standing here today and telling anyone it's great for you to live in a loveless marriage. That's not God's plan either. If there's no sexuality in your marriage, maybe because there's problems in the marriage, and God doesn't want you to stay that way. So if there's if there's not fulfillment there, there needs to be, because it's God's plan. And so get help. Start working toward that. And then you will find happiness. Oh, God, help us that we try to find happiness outside of God's plan. It's the difference between sin pleasure and soul pleasure. Sin pleasure is instant gratification. And I'm going to tell you and be honest with you as a pastor, I'm not going to lie to you today. I hate it when pastors lie to their people. Pastors get up all the time and say, sin is so awful. Why would anybody do sin? It's just awful. Well, pastor, wake up. It's fun. And it does bring pleasure. But for a moment. So let me be honest with you. You've got a choice to make. Sin pleasure versus soul pleasure. Sin pleasure is fun. The Bible says stolen water is sweet. Sin pleasure versus soul pleasure. Sin pleasure is instant gratification. I want it. I need to be fulfilled right now. No self-control. Indulgence. The problem with that is it always comes. It always comes with a handcuff and a spiral downward. Instant gratification is a spiral downward. The best illustration I could give you is go flush a toilet and watch. You want to flush your life down the toilet, indulge yourself. Never learn to say no to your own urges. It's a toilet bowl downward. That's sin pleasure. There's another option, soul pleasure. Soul pleasure often says no to instant gratification, but waits for an eternal reward. That's Joseph when Potiphar's wife throws, himself, th- throws herself at him. And nobody's there. She got rid of all the servants. There's nobody in the house, it's just him and her. And he runs young men, learn to run. (laughs) Learn to run. Learn to say no. Learn to control your own body. It'll pay off the rest of your life. If you learn to say no and control yourself, it will bring about soul pleasure. And there's an eternal reward that comes with that. Or you can just take the cheap route and take instant gratification And then, you know what? Man, I'm telling you, in every aspect of your life, that turns out badly. Alcohol, I'm not against alcohol. I'm not saying alcohol is an evil sin. What I'm telling you is, if you use alcohol in a way to bring about self-gratification, that's a spiral downward. (laughs) There's never been an alcoholic in the history of alcoholics who took a first drink saying, boy, I hope I can become an alcoholic someday. No one wants to become an alcoholic and dependent upon it. But so many people are in that vice grip drugs another way to escape Uh, no one ever started taking drugs thinking they'd be a, 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 a laying down praying that somebody has narcan because they've overdosed and they're about to die no one ever wants that but what do we do that for why do we accept cheap substitutes for joy it's because it brings instant gratification it just does i can't lie to you you will find joy for a moment just remember it comes with a price tag and it's usually a spiral downward Sexual gratification. What's wrong with the screen? What's wrong with two o'clock in the morning and nobody's watching? Who am I hurting? You're hurting yourself. You're hurting yourself because you're learning uh, uh, to to say yes to a screen who never is able to say no and you're taking advantage of your brothers and sisters, which by the way, God says, and anybody who takes advantage of their brothers and sisters is going to face punishment. It all comes with a handcuff. And Satan loves that. He just loves how he's just twisting it and we struggle with sumo-size sex drives. That's the problem in our sex craze world is everybody has sumo-size sex. You know sumo, sumo wrestlers. Those big dudes, 500, 600 pounds, they eat like 10 chickens a day and 15 dozen eggs. They're huge. Why are they that huge? Because they feed it. <laughs> If you keep feeding your sex drive, it will grow out of control. And that was never God's intention. Don't you point at a holy God and say, why did you make me like this? He didn't make you like this. You fed it until it was sumo-sized. So what do you do, Pastor? What What are you saying? I'm saying starve the sumo. Start starving the sumo. Experience what God created you for and how he intended it to be used only experience that within his guidelines you'll find joy everybody take a deep breath you survived it i'm passionate about it because i see it ruin so many lives i might have shared this before and you might know this this, but your your pastor pastor wears two rings the kids know that Uh, this one is my magic ring that i do magic tricks with this one is my wedding ring this is what i call work (laughs) This ring over here is not just uh, for magic tricks. It's a silver ring, and this inscribed on this ring simply is 1 Thessalonians 4 3 through 8. I wear this ring every day of my life to remind myself self control. Self control. It's an annoying ring because every time I write a letter, and it's kind of fun. you can go home and check if you got a birthday card from me recently. Go home and check and see if there's scratch marks. Because if I don't take the ring off, I drag it along the card. And I'm like, oh, I made all those scratch marks. But if it doesn't have it, it means I took it off and put it on this finger so I could write your card out. It's a pain and it's annoying, but I wear it every day. Because I think this is a key passage for all of us. God will for your life is that you would be sanctified. It's not a part? Not like this world. This is a sex-crazed world. You're to live differently. Julie and I are going to celebrate our 30th wedding anniversary this year. That's a great testimony to her patience. Amen? Amen. Uh, Hopefully we're going to take a trip and we're going to celebrate that. What a gift that is. Uh, Down the road, I, I meet with young couples all the time, and I tell them, just wait until down the road, 25, 30 years, when you can look back and say, oh, God is good. The gift that he gave us and the context in which he gave it. He's right. He was right all along. Real joy is in that context. We survived it. Let's go on. Third point is I must live out love. Verses 9 and 10 says, Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you. For you yourself have been taught by God to love each other. As, As in, in fact, fact you, you do, do love, love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. I like how he talks about our sexuality and goes right to love. Because I will remind you and remind you and remind, remind you, you again, again what the definition, definition of love. love is. Love is the selfless, willing sacrifice for the good of another person, even if they don't deserve it, and they're not expecting anything in return. I love how he went from sex to love, because he says, just remember your calling. It's to love. Live out love. If you're living out love, you won't take advantage of somebody. If you're taking advantage of somebody to mop up your sexual needs, you're not loving. (laughs) That's not love. That's attraction. That's desire. But love is for the good of another person. Remember, love is other love. Attraction is self-love. And so love becomes key. Matter of fact, I love what Stephen Furtick said. The overriding character trait of Jesus is love. And the The entire entire gospel gospel story story. is woven with love. Sometimes it's not easy. And oftentimes it requires sacrifice. But it's when we love, we are most like Jesus. Love. I'll continue to talk about it. I think it's an important key for our church. And and the writer brings brings it it up here here and says, "Love." love and do it more and more because when you're doing true love, you're not doing some of the selfish things that people do. Lastly, I must lead a life, a lead a respectful life. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your own hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anyone. Now, uh, don't get this wrong. This is not saying lead a life. I mean, when it says make it your desire to lead a quiet life that does not mean you don't live out loud that's okay I mean if you're guys if you're going big and you're living life and you're going for it that's not what this is talking about but what this is talking about is not being an agitator the the words that were used in the context that they were used meant don't be an agitator don't be a person that's just constantly causing grief and problems don't do that and why is he talking about that? Because they're living in a hostile world. What he's trying to say is, don't be like the world. You be different, and they'll notice it. If you live a quiet life, or should I say, if you live not being like them, agitating, causing division and strife, if you don't live like that, that's a good thing. That's what it means by quiet life. Mind your own business. <laughs> it means not being idle, busybodies. He's saying... Don't be an agitator. Don't be all up in somebody else's business. Attend to your business. And he also says, work with your own hands. Don't be content to live on charity. And I want to say this. This is not an indictment on the church handing out charity. There are times when people need a hand up. And and Oakwood wants to be that place. If you're struggling and you need help, please don't be afraid to ask. We'll offer you a hand up. We don't like giving handouts, but we'll offer you a hand up to hopefully get you out of where you're at and and on track again. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about busy busy busybodies and agitators who are so busy in everybody else's business, they're not doing anything of value for themselves. Paul has given himself and his example to the people. He was a tent maker. He had a business on the side. He, He was trying to support himself, but he also took assistance when needed from the church, but he was trying to be fruitful. Each of you should try to be fruitful. In living that kind of life, by the way, a quiet life, mind your own business, work with your own hands, not being content to be handed out all the time, but working toward sufficiency. You know what the Bible says about that? They win the respect of outsiders. Winning the respect of outsiders. That's evangelism. That is being a good testimony. So 1 Thessalonians 4 is teaching us several things. Follow God's instructions learn self-control, live love, and then live a life that's respected. That's the call. That's the holy life that's given to us, First Thessalonians 4. Team, if you'd come up and close us, I know we've got a, this is our communion Sunday. We always close with our benediction, a blessing song for you. Let me pray for you this morning. And then a reminder, uh, we do have uh, discover Oakwood Lunch. For those of you who signed up for that, uh, we will have that lunch in about 10-15 minutes. We'll be right out here in the lobby. As soon as we're done, we'll do that. Uh, I haven't been dismissing correctly, but children uh, down in Sunshine Park, if you have the youngest group, somebody help me. K through two? K K through two? Three, four, three and four. Two. Okay. We'll say kindergarten to a second. If you've got kids in that age, uh, while I pray, go ahead and go down and we'll get those kids dismissed first. The other group, uh, wait until the song is over and then you go down and get your kids. That way we've got a little variety of when children are being picked up. Let me pray for you this morning. Father God, we thank you for this day. Uh, kind of a tough subject. Uh, I know I'm sweating. God, as we talk about things that are sensitive, uh, God, I pray that no one here is, is frustrated or angry today or nobody has to leave here with guilt. God, each of us, uh, we need to learn to control our own bodies. Help us to say no to temptation. Help us to not give Satan a victory in our lives. Help us to maintain good marriages for those who are single. God, I pray for that calling uh, and the the strength that, that needs to come with that calling. Help us all, God, as we learn to control ourselves in a way that's holy and honorable. In Jesus' name, amen.